All right, guys, we're brought to you by Happiest again. Happiest is your number one place to go for premium CBD products that won't break the bank. They're perfect for any first-time user because they're lab-tested. Uh, there's no THC, which means it comes with a work-safe guarantee. They've got something for everybody, and I personally love the products. I use them every day. I got their freeze roll-on, their daily use, and their sleep aid. My wife loves their sleep aid. So go check them out, happiestmed.com, H-E-P-I-U-S-M-E-D.com, and grab a bottle or two. And guys, uh, we're doing some giveaways. I think Monday, this next Monday, we're doing a giveaway. So you're listening to this the next Monday. We're doing a giveaway. Join my text community if you want early entry into the giveaway. 810-202-0177. Follow me on Facebook at The Thinking Project Pod, on Instagram at Dalton K. Jensen. Thank you all so much for the support uh, and the listens and, and the guidance you guys all give me. It's been wonderful. Today I had an amazing guest on my show, um, Brandon Merrill, who is the founder of Utah Homicide Survivors. So now what that is, is they actually provide support for the homicide surviving uh, family members of the victim. So the victim surviving family members, they help them with litigation, with uh, court appearances, whatever else they need. This was actually a super fantastic episode that I absolutely loved. Um, We got into a lot of what he does, you know, the logistics around uh, stuff like that. Um, it, It was just a very fascinating interview. And if anybody needs those services, please reach out to Brandon Merrill. But first, enjoy the podcast. Enjoy the discussion because it was one of my favorite guys. Thank you so much. Welcome, everybody. This is Don Jensen, and you're tuning into The Thinking Project. All right, Brandon, well, we're live, man. So um, you run the nonprofit organization, Utah Homicide Survivors. Yeah. Holy cow, man. Tell me about that. So... The homicide survivor's name can be a little confusing okay. um, because most people look at it and go, okay, did you serve, <laughs> like, were you almost killed and then you weren't? Yeah. And so really what it means is the surviving family members of homicide victims. Okay. So usually um, the children, the parents, sometimes the spouses, a lot of our work is like domestic violence homicides though, which is usually oh, yeah. from the spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend or partner in some way yeah and so the the way that we determine who the survivor is is usually the innocent family member right okay that's that's intense like i wouldn't have thought um that like that would be i mean is it a big kind of like market i guess for lack of a better word i mean (laughs) it's an underserved area of the victimization world so there's a lot of there's a lot of different victimizations out there i mean um sexual assault rape stalking burglary like yeah uh you know any any kind of victimization where a crime has been committed and it affects another person yeah that there's a there's a victim there and so we are there for the specifically our group is for the survivors of the homicide victims yeah and that can range in number Utah has about 70 homicides a year. Sometimes we've been as high as 90 before. Wow. Um, So it can vary. uh, But the main thing that we found is uh, from different studies that have been done across the country is that for every homicide, there's three to 10 survivors. 
Wow. In Utah, we're on the higher end, closer to that 10 range, just because bigger families and things like that. And so how they count survivors in those studies is depending on who committed the homicide, the spouse, the children, the parents, and the siblings. Wow. So, I mean, you got to think in in Utah, that can be quite big, especially if the person is older and has kids. Yeah. And then it includes their parents and their siblings and their children. And that can get pretty deep. So it can get pretty big. Yeah. Yeah. And so we help with anything that they might need as far as legal stuff goes. So we help with the estate. A lot of people kind of don't understand what that is but when someone dies like it's how their stuff is distributed and who it should go to and so we're there to make sure number one it goes to the innocent family member yeah or the family members the heirs um and if that's children we make sure that those assets are protected so people can't come in and take advantage of the children's assets that are there to take care of them oh yeah no kidding so life insurance um home insurance or homes, cars, bank accounts, things like that. We are there to make sure that the heirs are going to get that, the right heirs, because (laughs) like I said before, a lot of the cases are domestic violence related. Yeah. So, so in in Utah, it's about 43% of all cases, all homicides are domestic violence. No kidding. Which is quite high for for the rest of the country. The rest of the countries are in the 20 to 25 percent range as far as like of all the murders perpetuated like 20 percent of those are domestic related so in the rest of the country yeah, yeah the that's rest the, the average yeah, yeah, yeah we're yeah. we're not the we're not even the top 10 for sure, states but sure. we're pretty close i would think um but yeah about that nationwide average is 20 to 25 percent of all homicides are domestic violence related wow but in utah we're at 43 percent. that's nuts yeah <laughs> that's so super and you wouldn't think that but that's right but just like in other types of victimization most victimizations happen from someone that you know or yeah. have an acquaintance with at least right most most crime is not random yeah yeah So it's kind of weird to think of it that way. And I think a lot of people don't like to address that because it makes us feel more vulnerable that it's going to be someone we know that's taking advantage of us in one way or another. Well, that that's true. I feel like that's true just in like when, whenever any kind of harm happens, right? Normally it's not somebody that you don't know. Yeah. And like, you know, we always teach like stranger danger. No, it's no, it's actually, it's people, you know, it's, (laughs) that's that's the scariest part. That's like, that really is the scariest part of it. And, even with homicides that are not domestic violence related, yeah. it is still the majority of times someone that they know in one way or another. That's nuts. Yeah. That's crazy. Very so, rarely is it random. So how did you get involved with this? So <laughs> I went, uh, so let me, let's go back a little bit, I guess. Yeah. So I went to my undergrad at Utah Valley University. When I started there, it was still UVSC. Okay. Um, but by the time I had graduated, it was UVU. And I did a degree in international politics. I was trying to get into the foreign service, working at embassies and oh, things yeah. like that. Yeah. Didn't make that. It's a really, really hard process. I made it probably to the final or second to last round. I just didn't know another language. And so they kind of cut me, oh, um, but man. they, they do these things there where if you make it, like they will pay you to go and learn another language and then they'll yeah. send you to the country of the place you learn the other language. Oh, wow. Um, and then they just rotate you around embassies all over the world kind of thing. So that, that sounded awesome to me, Yeah, <laughs> but didn't make it. So I was like, all right, next thing is law school. I wanted to go and do 
environmental law. So I found Vermont Law School was, uh, and at the time, and it still is, top one or two of environmental law schools in the country. Cool. Took some environmental law classes, and I hated every <laughs> single second of it. <laughs> Just hated it. Yeah. It was miserable. Uh, and I think it was because I wasn't interacting with the people like I learned that I wouldn't be interacting with the people that I was trying to help either. I would be working for big corporations trying to get the government to go away yeah. or I'd be working for the government trying to go after the big corporations. And yes, it is very important and it does affect people, but I yeah. wouldn't meet the people that I'm helping. Sure. That makes sense. And even if you were to go work for a nonprofit like Sierra club or, right. you know, a uh, green, Greenpeace or whatever, it's, it's just not the same. And so I found an internship with a group down in Arizona that doesn't exist anymore. Um, but they, they were around for 20 years before they closed down. Um, that did, ooh, legal work for victims of domestic violence yeah. and domestic violence homicide. Oh, cool. Wow. So I kind of got involved in it that way. So like I worked for them for three years and then opportunity came to move to Utah and open up a branch of actually their office. But then, so I started that technically in July of 2018. Yeah. But then by March, they had lost their main government grant funding in Arizona. So they just decided to close up shop yeah, and they were like, hey, if you want to do something, you can. You have our <laughs> blessing, but you can't like they even said I could use their name, but I didn't want to because I didn't want to. Yeah. I wanted it to be my own thing. Yeah, yeah. And so started started all brand new again, nine months basically after no I had kidding. started that. Yeah. yeah. And so that's where Utah Homicide Survivors was kind of born. Um, yeah. And so that name to me says more of what I was doing than the other name, which is why I, I chose that. Yeah. And there are other homicide groups across the country, but most of them are focused on therapy. Okay. Which is now a part of ours, but we, yeah. we only started that this year. Right. So as far as that goes, we're probably one of two organizations in the country that provide a full service, um, all like universal yeah. type of all encompassing care for, homicide survivors and the other one wow. is in arizona so when that other organization shut down they added a legal component to their organization oh, okay yeah um, and i would say that their therapy component is way more in depth than mine is sure and my legal is way more in depth than theirs is. <laughs> so i mean and we learn and we collaborate with each other they're yeah, they're really yeah. great people over there and i really like them and so it's it's nice to have other yeah. groups that are like that because we're definitely learning from each other. And it, like I said, this is an underserved community because nobody would know about yeah. that. Like you, you see the it's initial news organ, you see yeah. the news yeah, and then you see well, nothing. There was a, there was a recent uh, case here in Utah that I saw, you know, on a couple news outlets and I don't know exactly what happened, but it was a, a mother and a father who died, who, who yeah. were murdered. Yeah. Right. And, and they had like four kids, they yeah. had some kids or something like that, it, but it was quite a bit of kids. It wasn't like one or two. Yeah. Um, and I was like, what happens to those kids? You yeah. know what I mean? That and, was the first thing you I never hear about it. Yeah. And, and you yeah. won't hear about it again until the sentencing. Jeez. Because, you know, he escaped and, yeah. and this isn't a client of mine, so I'm free to talk about yeah. my observations of it. But yeah. um, I, you know, not that I, <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. I, I would love every homicide survivor family to call us, but we're so new, it doesn't always sure. come up. But, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, but basically, I think from what I remember happening, he 
like fled. He was yeah. trying to recross the border so he wouldn't get arrested. They found him. They brought him back to Utah and yeah. now he's awaiting charges or has charges and he's awaiting trial. Yeah. But we won't really hear much about it in the news until the sentencing or the trial. Yeah. And that's how it happens. You get the initial news thing, tons of news coverage. The family's overwhelmed with everything because there's news coverage, but they also have to plan a funeral. Yeah. And then they have all the the legal stuff that they have to deal with on the criminal side, but then they've got to see, like you said, who's taking care of these kids. Yeah. And what happens to them? And and it feels like, well, I mean, I'm sure there's somebody taking care of them like physically, but like, yeah. What happens with like therapy? What happens with their parents' stuff? Like, how does that all do they, well, who's taking with, who's taking care of them? How do they support them? Cause a lot of times, sometimes grandparents are taking care of them. They're retired. Yeah. And now now they've they've got kids. kids again in their, in their, late 60s 70s yeah or other other siblings might be taking care of them but now they've got all of a sudden four extra mouths to feed yeah and they weren't planning on that and Holy so cow. like how so do they how, yeah. yeah so how does your organization help with something like that so with every if they were working at any point during their life the Social Security is there. And so basically we get Social Security. We sign them up. We help them sign up for Social Security benefits, survivors benefits. So it takes care of those kids until they turn 18. It's not a lot. Um, It just depends on how long they worked and how much money they were making at the time. But it could be anywhere from a couple hundred bucks a month to 1500 or 2000 a month. It really just depends on what they were making and how much longer they have until they're 18. Because Social Security is trying to pace it out. As well. Oh yeah, good point. Yeah. So yeah. and there's four of in that case, but it just depends on how wow. many kids there are too. Yeah. You know things like that, and it can be even more complicated if it was like a split family where there's kids from different moms oh, yeah. or dads. You know, just yeah, depending like on a mixed who. Kind yeah. Of thing. So Holy who? Cow. Yeah. How they split that up between the two or three or Man, four. So that's it, a lot of legal stuff. A lot of legal oh, stuff we have to deal with. And you and you have to deal with that without your organization you have to deal with that on your own while you're doing all the other stuff going on and so we basically tell everyone look any paperwork you get life insurance car insurance home yeah uh, mortgage well not mortgage because you got to pay those but still send them to us but like things like that banks statements yeah medical debt things like that send that to us let us take care of the legal stuff you just focus on surviving yeah because that's really the most important thing they need to do because they're in trauma too yeah they just lost someone that was super close to them so they got trauma but not only that but everybody else in the family does too yeah and then on top of that they're being re-traumatized by all the little civil things that they need to take care of and then you got the criminal right and and you got just goes on and on people all over the place coming at you and then you got i was gonna say media (laughs) requesting stories or statements or whatever so we we tell them to send us those people too we'll do statements for people we'll wow um things like that so we'll we'll do whatever whatever they need and you know i'm i'm an attorney myself and you know, I've packed up apartments because they just couldn't go in to the house where their loved one was killed. Oh my God. I totally get that. Like yeah. I wouldn't want to go in there either. So I'll, I literally have gone in multiple apartments and just packed up everything. Wow. Good and what, what attorney kind of yeah. does that. So no I, I try to be more involved than most attorneys because the main part of my work is empathy and compassion. Yeah. 
Yeah. So. Well, no, that's that's intense. And so, how long have you been? How long has the organization been up and going? So officially, we started in March of 2019. Okay. So, but I've been here yeah, doing been the doing work, it. and yeah. we, and everybody, all the staff that were there, stayed <laughs> with the new organization. Yeah. It was me and a paralegal at the time, but we've grown. We have two attorneys now, including myself, um, and then a therapist. Yeah, that's part time as well. So like we're, we're starting to grow a little bit, starting to expand. But officially, Utah Homicide Survivors has been up since March of 2019. That's cool, though. Yeah. And and that was and, a, and I know that starting a 501c3 is like intense, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. And well, I've I've I'm an I'm an accountant. Um, and I've, so I've done a little bit with like nonprofits and stuff, but like setting them up is a nightmare. <laughs> Those are not fun to yeah, set up. Yeah, <laughs> doing, doing all the forms for it, getting all of the paperwork going. And then because of the special tax status, like, you know, the only taxes that I pay is employee and payroll taxes. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't pay any other taxes, but I still have to keep track of everything and say, hey, <laughs> this is what we got, but I'm not paying taxes on it. Yeah. Oh, I know. It's the weirdest tax return in the world. It's That's the weirdest one in, I've ever done. <laughs> yeah. It's the worst. <laughs> Holy cow. So so you these people reach out to you, you do advertising and let them know stuff? <laughs> we don't do a lot of advertising, it, uh, mostly because there are are a lot of restrictions with lawyers and advertising. Oh, I mean, oh, how I know that. profitable yeah. would it be for me to pill up, put up a billboard that says like <laughs> loved one killed? Like it's only 70 times that it happens in a given year. Sure. But uh, what we will do is we'll reach out to police departments and county attorney offices oh, where okay. that happens and say, hey, just let you know we're here. We're free. Here, please pass this information yeah, let, along. Yeah, and most of them know. will. There's a couple counties and cities that won't because they feel like it's unethical to refer a legal person over but anyway that's, <laughs> that's weird yeah don't <laughs> don't get me started on that but well yeah we, hopefully <laughs> eventually we're we're gonna break through those barriers because sure. we are so new and they're very protective they want to make sure that no one's gonna take advantage of these people again that's fair and that's how yeah, i am too that's fair so i i get it um but you so you got to build a little credibility. Exactly. Little like and that. I, yeah. and I have, and that's why other counties have started opening up. I'll have, if anyone in one County knows somebody in a different County, I'd be like, Hey, can you reach out to this prosecutor for me and vouch for me basically Yeah, yeah. get them to refer us to their client or yeah. to not their client to the victim because yeah. prosecutors represent the state. They don't represent the victim. Right. Right. And so we want to represent the victim <laughs> and Dang. their family. Yeah. And so look out for them and their best interests. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's really cool. And yeah. And when we connected, I thought that was like super cool and, and something that I'd never heard of before because it's just one of those things that, yeah, you, you, it just happens once in your head, you know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> no. And that's exactly like you just see it in the news and then you yeah. forget about it until the sentencing. And, 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 and it's a good thing for people to know about though, you know, to get the word out there. Cause there's a lot of good things that happen from that. Yeah. So, so along with that, you have some therapy that you offer. So like yeah. tra trauma therapy, things like yep. that. So right now it's a group therapy component cause we're oh, it's okay. so new. So it's yeah. an online group therapy, which we planned it to be online before COVID happened. Yeah, it just yeah. it literally coincided with the shutdown. We <laughs> had our first one at the end of March of wow. this year. Wow. And that is like exactly when all that stuff happened. But we had yeah. known it was going to be online from the beginning because this state is pretty big. Yeah. It, I mean, yeah. roughly six hours from one end to the other. Right. And so, you know, it's the best way to connect 
people from all across the state. You know, we have one person that joins up in Logan and Ogden. We have a couple in Salt Lake. We have some in Provo. We've got one out in Vernal or Castledale or somewhere (laughs) really far out there. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, if we had to have it in person, we just wouldn't get the amount of people that we need to make it successful. So eventually we might transition into some other in-person type groups. But for right now, this online is fitting our needs perfectly. And then we're, we just are starting a Spanish group now too. Oh, cool. And so trying to be more inclusive of the people that, that will need it. And that's a big population that also experiences a lot of victimization with homicide. Wow. Yeah. No kidding. So, so, so before, so if somebody doesn't find you, like, what's that, I mean, what's that process like, you know, like before, before someone comes to you, I mean, how soon do they come to you? The sooner, the better. Yeah. Honestly, because especially in domestic violence cases. Yeah. So you have to think about it this way. If you're, and this is terrible to think about it, but that's, this is exactly what happens. Your spouse kills you who's listed on your home with you. Yeah. My spouse, your bank accounts, your cars, your beneficiaries, everything. Yeah. And the law says the killer can't profit from their crime. Right. Yeah. It's called the Slayer statute in like regular person terms. We don't need (laughs) to go into (laughs) legal terms because that's not what this is. Yeah. Um, but the law says killer can't profit from murder, but where do you stop them? from profiting it's not in the criminal case Mm, the criminal case is for the state to go after the criminal for the criminal acts that they did them inheriting something is not it could be motive but it's not somewhere where the court will step in in the criminal side so you have to go to the civil court you have to go to the civil side and say hey they're trying to cash in on life insurance or bank accounts or cars they're trying to sell the home they're things like that and so we go in and we stop them from doing that so the the sooner the better because who knows more about your bank accounts and your life and your finances than the person who you were married to yeah yeah and so they know how to do it and you know we've had cases where they've gotten to us within a within a couple days honestly and we were able to stop them from emptying bank accounts like literally the bank would call us and say hey somebody is trying to withdraw or the life insurance or the um, injury insurance would call and say hey this person filed a claim on this person's behalf do you know who this is and i was like that's the killer (laughs) and so they won't pay out because they know that we're that we've we've already sent them the letters warning them hey this person does not get to cash in on this because they're suspected so so how do they do that like how would like how would somebody who perpetuated this crime go after like start emptying these bank accounts if they're so most of the time you can do it from jail i mean it's just a letter oh geez you can get a death certificate it's super sure. easy to do or you sign a power of attorney and Jeez. have another family member or friend do all of it for you and Jeez. because what what happens a lot is they know that they're not going to be getting any money because they're going to go to jail for the rest of their life hopefully and yeah. that's another thing in utah i don't we don't have that as much as you would think most killers spend anywhere from 15 to 25 years in in jail for murder wow um but what? but think about it that way though if you've yeah. got 
house, car, bank account, life insurance, you know, you could probably get an e- probably close to half a million to a million dollars. You get to spend 15 years in jail for it. I mean, I don't think that that's worth it, but somebody else might. Somebody might. And, and so, then, and then they just, and then they store it and go from hide there. it, whatever, especially if they don't, if people don't get to us quick enough, like we've literally had someone who was able to empty and drain and we got the judgments later, Yeah, but once it's gone, it's gone. It's, it's so, so hard, hard to, to recover yeah. unless it's a physical item that is still in, in their name. It's almost impossible to get back. Like we've had people hide trucks or whatever, and we, sure. we've gone out and found them. Oh, and wow. Take them back. <laughs> Um, but there have been times where they've sold it to someone else and that person didn't know about it. And so that's an innocent purchaser. So we can't get the truck back. We can get a judgment for the money, Yeah. but the money is gone or hidden or given out to somebody else and like tracking it through is super hard. Yeah. And so that's kind of in that domestic violence situation. That's why they need to call us as quick as possible because we prevent all of that from happening. But if it doesn't happen, I mean, there's still tons of stuff we can do. I mean, there's been cases where they've come to us a year and a half later and there's a lot of things that we can do. Yeah, of course. So it just depends. But yeah, just sooner the better, right? Yeah, always the sooner the better in general. (laughs) And, you know, there's, and then there's a weird niche area that we've kind of carved out with cold cases um, wow. in, in conjunction with another group called the cold case coalition. They, most of these people either, well, the ones that we've carved the niche out in at least their bodies were never found. So you don't have oh, a death certificate. Right. And why is a death certificate important for the life insurance, for the survivor's benefits, for um, wow, yeah. getting How access to things. So we go and basically petition the court after either after there's a lot of evidence or after a certain amount of years, Hey, this person is uh, officially deceased or we prove that they're most more likely than not deceased. Yeah. And yeah. actually it's more than that. It's more like, a um, anyway, legal <laughs> sure. stuff. it's more like a 75% chance that they're deceased. Kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so either they're, uh, they're presumed dead after a certain amount of years, or we have to show they're 75% likely to be dead. Yeah. And so we show that to the court if it's before the, the <laughs> automatic timeline. Yeah. And so then we can get a death certificate so then they can, we the can family can doing, get yeah. benefits and do all of that kind of stuff. So we've had wow. cases where it's been like a year and a half, but for sure they were killed and there's just no body that they could find, but like enough yeah, evidence we, was there. And then there's ones where it's like been five years disappeared without a trace. And so we'll help them get those death certificates for them. Wow. So, so how, what's the timeline? Five years is the presumed timeline. So if you're gone for five years, five years. Yeah. You're presumed dead and yep. then you can do your family can get, but you still have to go to the court to do sure, it. I'm sure. It's not yeah, like you, you can do. say, Hey, yeah. they've been gone for five years. Person, give me that. You yeah. have to go to court and get the court to declare them dead. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of like Batman, <laughs> right? Yeah. It, that happens in Batman <laughs> where Alfred's like, you've been gone. I had you declared dead. Oh geez. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So people don't think about it, but yeah, it's Batman. 
Oh, like, that's awesome. That's exactly what happened there. <laughs> he was God. gone for five years. Alfred had him declared dead. Yeah. And then he's come back to life. Yeah. Right. So same kind of, same kind of concept. I mean, most of our, I would say, I, well, you know, I haven't done it long sure, enough to have sure. anybody come back, but yeah, they're most likely though. They're, yeah. They're, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty much yeah. gone. That's intense. So, so you deal with those and you know what, that's something that I'd never even thought of. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, what if you go missing? And what if you go missing? You, nobody. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, because because you can't necessarily prosecute those cases without a body. In, in most I mean, cases, you could, but yeah. you have to have a lot of different evidence. Sure, and, sure. You know, there's cases that are going on in the state right now for that, but yeah, there's still there's always hope for the family that the person will come back. Obviously, yeah, yeah. And so it's kind of hard for them to accept sometimes that they're never coming back. That that it's been five years, or or we have so much evidence that yeah. like you know this just isn't possible or whatever right exactly and it it's definitely hard but sometimes they just want to find out what happened and so sometimes yeah that's a lot of closure but they can't get access to certain things without a death certificate like you couldn't get access to bank records without a death certificate unless you're on the bank unless you're on the bank account yeah yeah medical things or cell phone records or whatever unless you're on all of those things wow so once you get the death certificate you can start doing that yeah yeah, but but before a death certificate, there's not a whole lot you can do. Correct. Wow. Yeah. That's intense. I never thought about that. Good yeah. thing you came on. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's Educating something that people, no. You know yeah, I mean? and it's something that most people don't think about. Yeah, yeah, because it's so intricate. There's a lot of details. There's a lot of yeah. You know, a lot of red tape. And Jeez. and I would venture to say, with you know, you have to look at with the amount of homicides there are every year that that 70 doesn't count the those missing people don't count into that 70 oh yeah that's so right. you got to think about that 70 you've got about 10 survivors per homicide so that gives us about 700 survivors per year wow we're in a state of four million ish people yeah and again over a 10-year period that means we've got about seven thousand. wow survivor Seventy thousand survivors yeah yeah I don't know. Math is hard. Yeah, I don't. I'm not gonna. <laughs> a lot. It's a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. But yeah. Well, so what made you want to do that internship in Arizona? Like, what made you want to? Because, like, <laughs> I, you know, sometimes I ask people, like, did you ever think you were going to be in this position? I just, like, yeah, I just yeah. needed an internship. <laughs> That's really what it was. So my to aunt, finish, to my aunt, yeah. So my my wife is a teacher. You know, so we're number one nonprofit lawyer and a teacher. So we get paid really, really well. (laughs) Um, But in Vermont, they like literally didn't need teachers. She had she had applied over to 100 positions for teaching in Vermont or teaching adjacent and got interviews in like five of them and got hired at one but it was like a part-time gig. Wow. And so like they literally didn't need teachers like and that wasn't even just in vermont she applied even in new hampshire because we were close enough to the new hampshire yeah. border that she was applying in new hampshire schools too dang and so like it just was it was crazy yeah and so we were there for two years before we we're like all right she's yeah gotta find her work because we haven't had any income really yeah. i mean we've had a very part-time income but yeah. during law school you're really not encouraged to work yeah i, w- I would imagine cause, like because like your first how... year you're not even allowed to really work at all 
And then wow. after that, you're not supposed to work really more than 20 hours a week. And is that, is that just like an unwritten, unofficial kind of thing? Yeah. I think that I know for sure your first year, you're, you're not allowed to work more than 20 hours in a week. Wow. Um, but they really discourage you from working at all your first year. Yeah. And then after that, they say, look, you can work more, but try not to work more than 20 hours a week. <laughs> yeah. And so it can be rough, but I'm not a good student. And so yeah. I, there's no way I could work and do law school at the same time because it's a full-time job because right. you go to school, but then you have like 800 pages of reading every day. Yeah. Well, that's ridiculous, man. It's, it's crazy. That's like ridiculous. one, one class will be like, all right, read these next 50 pages by the time we meet for class in two days. And then yeah. you've got, but you've got the opposite day. So every class is, every <laughs> class felt, is 50 to hundred pages of reading yeah, every day. Yeah. I felt like that when I was in accounting. Yeah. Like, because accounting is mostly law. Yeah. Like accounting law. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Right. I don't have like a, I'm not a lawyer, but we read, I mean, you read just laws. All you day. read IRS yeah, law. And you're very, <laughs> I was going to say, you'll be very well versed in those type of ones. Yeah. Yeah. And in law and, school, But they did. They did. Yeah. They were like, I mean, I had one time, it was like 75 pages, like from three classes. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Man. And we'd get that like per class. <laughs> yeah, and it was ridiculous. like four classes a day. So, you know, we'd come home with anywhere from, you know, 150 or 200 to 500 yeah. pages of reading a day. What a mess, man. Yeah. And then writing on top of that yeah, too because exactly. you have yep. to know the cases enough so you have to have everything ready and summarized and they practice the you know socrates method where they just pick on someone the whole time and they just ask you questions the whole time so if you don't wow. know something like you're, you're done you get embarrassed like yeah. they'll be like all right tell us about this case oh what about this thing what about this thing and if you don't know the answer they'll move on to somebody else but then they'll come back to you for the next question stuff oh, so geez. you're like front and center and they'll find a backup but <laughs> oh my yeah. goodness law school sounds horrifying don't ever do it <laughs> never do it i it's funny because all lawyers will say don't go to law school yeah yeah yeah. you know what i had another lawyer i interviewed on this show and and he said the exact same thing. He's like, I'm not sure if I would ever do it again, but it was there and I did it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All lawyers will say like, oh, don't go to law school. Yeah. But then we're still lawyers. Like, but, yeah, but then you're still lawyers. Yeah. But we have to be because <laughs> we went to law school for it. Like, what else are we going to do? Yeah. I, I think I had a conversation like that with him too. And he's like, I don't know what I would do. I'm just a lawyer now. Yeah. And, uh, but it was, but that's fun. So, I mean, that's crazy. And, and so you said this and I kind of wanted to just touch on it. Why, yeah. why aren't you, why is not Utah the place for life in prison for like murderers or something? I mean, that, I know that's a, such a big Honestly, question. not every state is like that. Sure. Um, we have something called indeterminate sentencing though. And this is for every crime. In okay. Utah. Every crime has something called indeterminate sentencing. So you'll see on the charges, they'll be like one to five years, five to 10, five to 15, oh, 10 to life, five to life, 15 yeah. to life, 25 to life, things like that. Yeah. And so it, that, that first amount is the shortest amount of time you'll spend in prison. And the last amount is the maximum amount of time you'll spend in prison. And some homicides are 15 to life. Some are literally up to 15. Oh, so wow. it could be 10 to 15 yeah, or 5 to 15 or 0 to 15 or whatever. Yeah, whatever. And so the judge, and and that's something that maybe I think needs to be, people need to be better educated about in Utah. The judges have no power over the amount of time they spend in prison. Interesting. In total, at least. Interesting. They, if somebody, if there's a plea deal or the jury finds them guilty, they have a chart that says, if you are found guilty of this crime, 
it is this amount of time, zero to 15 or five to life or oh, whatever wow. it is. And, and they have to, they have to, and they that. have to follow that. Yeah. And if there's a plea deal, they are highly encouraged to follow the plea deal. They don't necessarily have to. Sure. But the prosecutors make this plea deal to advance justice quicker. And, and a lot of people get really mad about plea deals. I think they're wonderful. Sure. And that's coming from someone who is there <laughs> for the victims. Yeah. And yeah. the reason that they're wonderful is because the victims don't have to go through the trial. A murder trial minimally is two years before you'll get to trial. No, why? That's crazy. Just how long it takes. Yeah, so I'll to get, get people everything together to get everything ready for trial. It's it's a full trial will take a minimum of two years. Wow. Minimum. Like most of them are going to be a little over two, two and a half is probably the more average amount. That's and crazy. If it's a plea, if it's shorter than two years, you can pretty much bet that there is a plea deal. Oh, wow. Which and is, so, I mean, so yeah, I mean, I see where you're coming from. Like, cause they want to be, plea deal, they want to be just, done, with be done with this and yeah. they don't want to have to worry about testifying that would be scary. or going through and having their loved one's character destroyed. Cause that's what the defense's job is, yeah. is to destroy the character or the evidence that the state has. And so the plea deals are always done or at least should always be done with the permission or at least with the input of the family yeah, yeah they don't yeah, have yeah. to follow if the family says we don't want a plea deal the prosecutors have that independence to say well we're still offering it yeah but they still, have to yeah. tell them before they offer the plea deal so they'll okay. say hey look we're thinking about offering this plea deal what do you think and they'll talk to them about the pros and cons of the plea yeah some prosecutors will be like i'm not offering one unless you want me to and so that that's up but that's up to the prosecutor not all yeah, prosecutors will yeah, do that yeah. some counties are way busier than other counties you know you'll have a really populous county like salt lake county where they're going to handle you know a majority i'm 30 sure a majority, to 40 yeah. homicide cases a year yeah um because they're going to be in the majority it's probably more closer to like 25 or 30 but sure, still a sure. lot and then you get ones like uinta county or emory county or yeah. wasatch county where they might get one in a year like yeah that'd be yeah maybe one or yeah something like that and so yeah. the intensity of those trials would plays a factor i think into that sure. whether the prosecutor is going to seek a plea deal or not and most of them still will because getting the trials done quicker is better for the families in the long run Jeez, but yeah, well, yeah. no, it is. I mean, but that's just crazy. Like a lot of a lot more understanding comes from that. Yeah, you know what I mean. Because a lot of people don't like. I didn't know that. You yeah. know what I mean. Like, okay, so what do you do, right? Yep. Well, and then going back, <laughs> and to then this. in the meantime, right? So let's say you end up going to trial or something like that. Yeah. Or even if it takes a year and a half to reach a plea or something like yeah. that. Yeah. You still got all this stuff that you got to deal with. Exactly, Jeez. and then. When they're sentenced, going back to that indeterminate sentencing, yeah, the judge will say, "Okay, you're you've pled guilty to this. It holds a punishment of this. So let's say fifteen to life. So they could be out in fifteen years. Yeah. And who decides that? It's the board of pardons and parole. Oh, interesting. So they really have way more power. Yeah. Than judges, in my opinion, as far as keeping someone in jail. Oh, interesting. And and our and that and goes for any kind of victimization or crime. Sure. Any sure. type of crime that is committed the board of pardons is really who determines how
how long they're going to stay in. Interesting. There. And who's and how do you pick who's on the board of pardons? The governor. The governor just be. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're appointed. I should say legislature. Yeah. Legislature. Um. Either I believe the legislature confirms them. I sure. couldn't tell you for sure. That's not I'm something not I'm hold super versed in. <laughs> I'm but I do know that the governor does pick people to yeah. serve on that yeah. and whether they're confirmed or not by the the legislature i couldn't tell sure. you but sure but is there now does your nonprofit do any lobbying or sort of things for nonprofits aren't really supposed to lobby sure um, because that's against their nonprofit missions usually you, you right. can't spend a lot of time so there are, might be some things where we will say hey we we've seen this in yeah, our in yeah. our thing when, yeah. while doing our work we've seen something that's really disturbing or that's hurting victims please help us fix it yeah yeah and, and so, and, and so I, I guess yeah because I, I went through that and I guess lobbying might be a little too strong of a word but get you know we you can, educate the legislature yeah, yeah. legislative and legislature about the different things so we'll, right, we, right. we go there we'll <laughs> ask for funds sometimes we haven't received any yet because we're so new but we've asked yeah, for it yeah. and or, you know, sometimes legislate legislators will call us and say, hey, you know, I had someone in my district that was killed and they've brought this to my attention. What do you think of this? And I'll say, oh, that, yeah, this is a common issue. And they say, how, how would how would you fix it? And so yeah. I'll consult with that on that. So oh, yeah, okay. hopefully we've got some <laughs> we've got some legislatures this year that have called us about trying to fix some issues. So we ha we might have some bills that we yeah. would say that this would help and it's not necessarily lobbying if it directly right, affects um our people sure. that we serve so sure. we're not there to like get involved in politics we take no yeah, political yeah. stances or yeah, anything no, like yeah. that Nonprofits can't do but, that they can't yeah. back a they can't back like a party or a candidate or anything like yeah. that but they, but but what i meant was if like there's you a know, law you that's can, going to affect us yeah, we can exactly. we can state our position exactly. on that law exactly and yeah. so that's really the i should say the <laughs> amount of lobbying that we do would be that kind of hey yeah exactly. we'd like to see something like this or we support this or we don't support this yeah exactly yeah for sure yeah. that's so crazy and and you just i mean how many you know you haven't been in for that long but how many on average do you handle in it in a year like so or even even when you were in Arizona of the 70 that happen per year we probably get about 30% of those so 20 to 22 in a yeah. year but these cases take a long time just like in the criminal case how that can take 2 years yeah. our minimum cases take um, like very very minimally six months yeah most of them are at least a year to a year and a half i you're have one so, case yeah. where we're in the third year now Jeez. Um, and you're just and you're still fielding still doing stuff for them and so we get new cases we have cases that we finish new cases come in yeah but that's why we had to hire a second attorney to help yeah. with that workload and the beginnings of the cases are always a lot more intense than the middles yeah because a lot okay. of it is just getting filings getting things frozen finding the assets making sure nobody takes them yeah. and then it's a waiting game Jeez. and then after the waiting game it's a bunch of filings to get everything yeah. closed and distributed over to the people who need wow. it and so uh, i mean and now this is kind of like your thing your thing you're passionate about it. oh yeah you're rolling man yeah this is i mean I, I stumbled into it which a lot of people in the victims world stumble into their their work yeah. and they become really passionate about it and that's kind of how it was for me it's something yeah. that i know that 
is what I want to be doing at least yeah. for the foreseeable future. I mean, maybe not forever, but um, because you can get burnt right. out easily. Oh, uh, and I'm sure with some of the stories that you hear, I mean, Oh yeah. And, and you know, I, I see a lot of things that people don't ever get to see even in the news or things like that. You know, I see pictures, videos, police reports, things like that, that never get Jeez. released. And, and do you, I mean, is that part of your job? Like, do you seek out those things? Or yeah. Sometimes we need to, but sometimes the family also wants that for closure. And so we'll do that. We'll help them get those things and encourage them to do that with a therapist or someone that's a safe person yeah. because it can be really hard to read what happened. Uh, but yeah. And then on the side, <laughs> yeah. on top of all of that, with our all the victimizations, I have a, a podcast where we literally just talk about victims of crime and survivors of Jeez. domestic violence. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's, I mean, a lot of people need that though. You know, there's yeah. a, the true crime podcast world is big but it's only on like the people like the crimes right yeah so they look at it from like oh look at all these news sources or videos or dramatizations yeah. that 60 minutes did or whatever <laughs> right, right and so what we do uh, it's called utah survivors podcast it's a it's a very we, yeah. we call ourselves a different kind of true crime podcast because what we do is we bring in the survivor themselves they tell us their story how they want it to be told yeah so we might talk about all the all the details yeah and it's not just homicide stuff so a lot of it is uh, domestic violence related so stalking domestic violence abuse sure. rape sexual assault molestations sex trafficking human trafficking things like that and so they'll come on and they'll tell their story the way they want it told we don't if they don't want to talk yeah, about yeah. the actual crime that happened they don't they don't have to yeah because it can be super traumatic yeah that's hard and so we more if they don't want to talk about everything that happened and we try not to even make it so it won't be triggering for other people that have gone through it too right because right. you never know someone might be listening to it and go oh this is exactly what happened to me yeah and we don't want and now we're yeah now we got a couple exactly and so we wanted to make it a, a place where everybody feels safe and they can talk about their their experiences as in their victimizations and so they'll talk more about like the criminal process or how they're doing now and they'll we'll still talk a little bit about what happened and how right. it happened yeah, yeah. but we don't talk about exactly all the details because it's not something that everybody needs to know yeah and then the week after that we follow it up with a nonprofit that helps or government agency that helps people in similar situations what? oh nice so for instance if someone was talking to us about how they were raped then we'll talk with an organization like UCASA, the Utah Coalition Against Sexual Assault oh nice and yeah. so they they help victims of rape find services for them or right. someone's trying to get a divorce from their abusive husband we'll talk to utah legal services or salt lake legal aid or tempanova's yeah. legal center places that help people that want a divorce from their abusive spouse to get them that resource yeah that would be an interesting conversation too yeah how do you get those people out safely exactly Whew. and there's and so or like we'll talk with a victim advocate who does safety planning oh yeah and so yeah. that's a big part of their work or protective orders or things like that and yeah. so it's not only is it there for them to hear stories or for anyone really to hear stories about this happen but then they'll know the resources because 
one in one in three women in Utah and one in four men in Utah are victims of domestic violence at some point in their life. That's crazy. Yeah. And it's a little higher than the nationwide average too. So in nationwide, yeah. it's one in four and one in seven, I believe yeah. for men. I think, I think you're right. Um, it might be one right. in six, but it's, it's still close to there. And so we're higher than average on both of those. That's Again, crazy. not the highest, yeah, but, not the highest, but higher sure. than the rest of the country. And so guaranteed you know a victim of domestic violence you might not know that but you know a victim of some type of domestic violence right or domestic criminal criminalization kind of thing or yeah. a victim of a domestic crime which that can include stalking including sexual assault or rape or molestation or abuse or whatever yeah, yeah. and so these pot this podcast is there for random people everyday people too to be able to go oh my gosh my friend is going through this or their friend comes and tells them oh i know the resource for you now oh yeah which is super powerful like a lot of more people need to know how to deal with that on a day-to-day basis oh yeah and i see people all the time you know whether it's on like facebook or messaging boards or whatever just because i try to yeah figure out ways to help as many people as possible i'll see that and be like oh you need to go to this organization wow and so (laughs) you know that's try to connect them with that resource because that's something i'm passionate about is helping all victims of crime yeah not just homicides homicide is my i would say my main focus and sure, passion but sure. i still want to help as much people as possible yeah and is that in utah homicide and then the podcast those are the only things you dabble in right now <laughs> yeah pretty much you know there's always big <laughs> plans for expansion and things like that yeah, yeah. eventually we want to take on certain types of divorce cases sure. where the victimization or the the criminality of the victimization has been fully prosecuted because we can use that to get the victim more assets of the marriage when they get divorced. Oh yeah. Um, Cause federal guidelines and restrictions is you can't use their money for injury actions. Oh, that's interesting. So mostly cause they don't want to be sued. Yeah. And so you can't use their money to sue them. So they just put a blanket <laughs> ban on, on, what they call tort which is injury so you know you ever see the billboards the one calls or the accidentes or whatever else all of those are called tort actions so when when you're injured it's a tort um not a delicious english dessert yeah that's right um (laughs) but the federal government doesn't allow you to use their money to do that kind of work okay so, oh yeah, well, geez, that's so sticky, huh? Yeah, and so like I, that's you know, why you got people I always, like you. I always think that there should be exceptions <laughs> to it, but uh, federal government doesn't fully fund our program. Sure. So, and that the reason that's the main reason they don't fully fund our program, so that way we can do things like that. So um, we, so you can make. So yeah, know, we'll do wrongful except, death cases, yeah. uh, with our homicide part of our thing, and that is not covered by the federal government grants. So our time on that, we have to, we have to document our time. Okay. This week I spent three hours on the wrongful death case. So that three hours cannot come from the federal government. It has to come from our pot of money over here that we have separate from fundraising or donations or whatever. Yeah, man, there's too much. Yeah. There's too much legal account, like nonprofit legal accounting. Yeah, That's especially ridiculous. when you have government grants. Oh, yeah. That's ridiculous. And we have like a reimbursement grant. So if we don't spend it, we don't get it. Yeah, that's even harder. So we have to spend the money first <laughs> and then say, hey, can we have our money back? 
and then yeah, they'll do yeah. an audit and be like, hey, you said you spent, and this is a real scenario and it's yeah. a typo, but they're like, you said you spent $136.71 here, but you actually spent 100, well, let's say it was $137.61, but you actually spent $136.71. So oh, you yeah. owe us 90 cents. Yeah. And we have to give them 90 cents back. Yeah, I know. The and, so, and, and it's and it's to protect and there are yeah, people yeah, out there yeah, that have yeah. taken advantage of that oh, system and time. that's why yeah. they have to do this well, yeah you know a non-profit organization is probably in the top five ways to launder money oh yeah all the time and people don't realize that there's a lot of organizations out there non-profit does not mean you don't make money oh yeah absolutely what it, what it yeah. really means is non-taxable yeah because yeah. technically yeah, people don't get that the NFL is a nonprofit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And look how much money they make. Oh, they make tons of and money. And they have things that they pay taxes on because it's not officially affiliated with their yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. charitable purpose. Yeah. But for the most part, a lot of their stuff is nonprofit. Yeah. And so the, and there's other organizations out there. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, that make, that bring in tons of money and their people get paid a lot, Yeah, you know, yeah. and, and they do a lot of good work out there and the bigger yeah. the organization, the more overhead. Yeah. And even the small organizations, depending on what you're doing, like we have a large amount of overhead because yeah. all of our services are, or all of our charitable work is services. We don't charge, yeah. which we, is like a whole different yeah. ball game. And we literally do not charge them one penny. Yeah. So there's, okay. that's crazy. There's Good court you, fees yeah. and other legal fees like that we don't control. So it's not like an attorney will charge you $200 an hour yeah. and all the fees. Yeah. We charge $0 an hour and none of the fees. Yeah. And just the fees and things alone, the cost of one of the cases can be anywhere from, depending on the type of case, yeah. two to twenty, thirty thousand $30,000, depending nuts. on what we're doing. Yeah. And we don't charge them anything. Right. And so, you know, we hope to be able to continue yeah. that, but not every, then, not every yeah. time we're able to. So there well, might yeah. be a case and then, where we don't have the fees anymore and they have to pay that $500 to cover a court filing fee or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the government will, a lot of times with services do fair value and they might not do yeah. fair value where you live. Yeah, like exactly. They'll do fair value in the, like out of all the attorneys who do they'll exactly what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, hey, the rural attorneys, they can, yeah, they, yeah. they get 150 bucks an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you <laughs> are in the big city where it's 250 bucks an hour. And, yeah, I, you know, exactly. that's not what we're making. And that's sure. not even close to what we're making. Yeah, no. Um, I wish no, I was no. making that. But, right, right. But that's the the services they actually, when yeah. they're actually working and doing, you know, because a lot of attorney time might not be working on the billable parts of their clients cases yeah you might be doing paperwork but like exactly yeah. and so for us we try to make it so they literally have to pay zero to as little as possible and yeah. even for things like packing up the apartment and shipping it yeah so we we shipped an entire apartment to another state and i won't say because i don't sure it, it could sure. potentially easily with people finding us <laughs> um but oof. It cost like over $2,500 to ship all this stuff to where the family was living. I'm sure, yeah. Man. And we didn't have them pay one penny. That's crazy. That's and, good for you, man. And so that's Holy and God. so that's what we try to do because... Yeah. And so that's our overhead, really. And so like when, when some of these like charitable certificates, they'll... Or like organizational, but well, this organization spends... Like Red Cross. Yeah. They're like 70, 80 or more percent on overhead staff yeah. and f the things that they're giving yeah. out to people, warehouses, buildings, things like that. Yep. 
but look at how much they do compared. If they were to l- lower their overhead, they would not be providing yeah, they more. Could, well, because overhead's different in a nonprofit. Like it's exactly. a different definition in exactly. a nonprofit than it would be. Because salaries are included in as overhead, overhead in yeah. nonprofit. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. we we still deserve to be paid for our work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because this is all 100%. that I do. Yeah, I'm, I'm full time doing this. I could yeah. I could go out and get another lawyer job and do this on the side, but I wouldn't be able to help those twenty five families. Yeah, in the same a way. Year. Yeah, exactly. Same, yeah, for I sure. maybe would be able to do five families a year. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm I'm glad that you brought that up because, like, as a you know, as an accountant, like that's one thing that I try to teach people all the time is that like nonprofit doesn't mean what you think it means. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I love it when people approach me for like, Hey, I want to start a nonprofit doing this. I'm like, okay, first thing, yeah. how are you, are you looking to get paid or are you just looking to do some, like do yeah. a service and like, Oh, if they're looking to get paid, it's a long road. And it is only, a long road. The only well, reason like, I am yeah. so successful at what it was is because I was with another organization that was already, that already did all that legwork. So I knew how to get it started right away. Yeah. If I was yeah. just starting it from the beginning, I would still be unpaid doing this kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and it, yeah, it's, that's <laughs> tough, man. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't get that. Well, so how do people, if they want to get a hold of you, if somebody wants a referral or something like that, how do they reach you? Yeah. So they can go to our website, utahhomicidesurvivors.org. Cool. Also, we have a Facebook, Instagram, we technically have a Twitter, but not super, <laughs> not super active on that. Um, it's just yeah. at Utah survivors. Okay. And for the podcast, if people want to access it, it's Utah survivors, uh, dot org, not Utah homicide survivors, but Utah survivors dot org. Okay. And then we have our Instagram, which is Utah survivors podcast and same with our Facebook at Utah cool. survivors podcast. And so reach us on there. Um, it's got donate buttons on both of those kind of pages. If people wanted to do that or if they want to get involved there's little inquiry buttons where you can fill out and say hey i want to volunteer i want to help um want to donate something we do auctions a couple times we're doing another one here in november for the christmas season yeah um so we're getting items to auction off online and things like that cool so just trying to help you know with all this COVID (laughs) stuff we we had to cancel most of our events and so we yeah i bet fundraising yeah we have to raise about fifty thousand in cash every year to survive oh wow and so we are about seven thousand short for that year so it's like our last little yep, push you we gotta, gotta go. try to raise it and so <laughs> you know that's that's other ways of helping um but we also interns or volunteers or people that just sometimes want to sit with the victim's family in the court things like that just yeah. to help make sure that they feel loved and protected that's a big thing too oh wow, but we also yeah. vet vet people like that very closely because some people are just looking to know the drama about yeah they are that's happening because we live in that true crime world yeah no Um, kidding man so we're we're just trying to you know (laughs) we make sure that yeah exactly and we want to make sure the victims feel safe absolutely and so well that's great man holy cow well thank you so much for spending the time with me me. and uh good luck in all of this bro thanks (laughs) 